Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Kyle Marcotte. Thanks for being on the show, Kyle. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited. I'm excited just by reading your bio, and I can't believe you and I haven't met before, but a little about Kyle. He's a 21-year-old multifamily syndicator. While still a student athlete at U.S. Davis, he was able to syndicate two multifamily apartment buildings. These two deals totaled 119 units and are valued at over $5.5 million. First off, I want to say congratulations to you, Kyle. I know that didn't happen by, you know, you just sitting around and thinking about it. You know, so... (laughs) Uh, you know, I, I just want to say congratulations. And I think the myself included in the listener base, I, I know are envious of, of getting started at that age. And, and I just want to say congratulations. But we want to hear how you did it and want you know, you to teach us about how you did that and, and help the listener as well to get to that point. But back up and give us a little more about your background. And I want to just jump into your your superpower. Yeah. So I was a student at UC Davis. I was actually playing division one soccer there as a student athlete and was doing the pre-med route and just wasn't really that excited with school. I've always kind of not been the biggest school guy, I guess. I've always kind of wanted to do my own thing and had my own vision. I, for a while, I didn't think that that was okay. So I just kept putting my head down and doing school. And then I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it kind of, I mean, I know that's so cliche, but it really is a book that changed my life. It put words to those feelings I had in my heart that were just saying, there's other ways to go about making money. You don't have to trade your time for it. And that's kind of my passion is getting people to realize that you don't have to trade your time for money. You know, I was trading my time to my soccer coaches and my teammates and my school teachers and my classwork, and I didn't really feel fulfilled by any of it. So I wanted to find a way to feel fulfilled and to be, to enjoy life independent of my, get money independent of my time and enjoy life and spend time with my family. And and that's what I've been able to do. So midway through my sophomore year, I actually pursued multifamily full time. I dropped out of school. I had no deals at the time and just took the huge risk. Nobody believed in me at all. It was six months of just no money and no prospects and your family doubting you, your friends doubting you, uh, all your classmates doubting you and you kind of doubting you, which is the hardest part, you know, (laughs) but I I made it through the six months and got 107 unit under contract with a, with a partner from the Jake and Gino group. And, you know, it was just really a lot of hard work and I was working, you know, 16 to 20 hours a day just because I couldn't, spend any time alone with myself because I would doubt myself. So I just had to keep working the whole time. So I just, I just worked day and night and, and slept when I passed out because I didn't really want to have any quiet time with myself to realize the the risk that I had taken, to be completely honest. I love that. I love what you just said, because I can relate to that. It's like, you just got to keep busy because you don't want to spend time with yourself because you'll start to talk too much negative stuff to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That voice is crazy. It's it, I don't know how to get it to stop, but it's hard, man. It's hard. So I wanted to back up a little bit. I mean, obviously, I mean, you just you took such a, a leap of faith there. It's incredible. I know if I had been the parent, I would have been, I'm sure, just where your parents were or whoever. they been like, wait a minute, Kyle, what? let's sit down a minute. <laughs> you know, like, let's talk about this, right? You know, and think about our options here because it's just not the safe route, right? It's not what we all see. And it's not what I was taught as being safe, you know, growing up. You got to think about that retirement and the income and the, you know, those benefits, all those things, you know, we all have heard that talk. But I want to hear about your story there because that, that had to be so difficult, you know, including parents or family, all these people, like you're saying, including yourself, you know, not maybe believing in you. But how did you get through that? 
I got through it just honestly by, I guess, sheer determination and just almost like a rebelliousness of, of, hey, I mean, honestly, if people would have believed in me, I'm not sure if I would have actually achieved it. I think it's because of the fact that people kept telling me no and that I was crazy and that I had to do the safe route, as you said. And I, I just knew that in my heart that it, it wasn't the safe route. You know, having a job isn't necessarily safe. 2008 proved that quite a bit and several other recessions have as well. The only way to really be safe or secure in the sense is to be massively successful in your own individual business that you have some control over. And even being successful in a business almost doesn't make you that secure. You have to be kind of massively successful as I've been learning recently. You kind of have to own your space in a market. So I realized that, you know, it's going to take quite a bit. If I actually do value security and safety, I have to I have to take some serious risk to get to that level because otherwise you kind of get caught in the in-between of pseudo safety. You feel safe in times that are good, but then when times are bad, you're actually forced into this massive action. And I figured, well, if you're going to be forced into this massive action at some point anyways, I might as well just start now and always be in massive action so that I can at least have this happen on my terms because a lot of times, you know, you kind of play it safe and take the easy route and you have a, you do whatever people tell you to do. And then all of a sudden, late, maybe 2008 happens again, you lose your job and now you're thrust into massive action. Mm. And I figured, man, I'd rather not be thrust into it. I want to put myself into it. You and I have so much more in common than we'll probably ever know, but that's <laughs> interesting story. It's an amazing story. I'm just so thankful that you shared that with the listeners and myself. But tell me the first step, like, how did you have the confidence to, to take that leap? It's such a big leap. I mean, you're a sophomore. You've already spent quite a bit of time at the university, obviously, lots of time invested by that point. And obviously just your family and everybody thinking you're going that route, then all of a sudden this big change. What gave you the confidence to jump into real estate though, right then? I just guess because I knew real estate works, right? And I figured it's just time and task. Because if it was like, if I was starting a tech startup that had never been made before, maybe I would be a little bit more hesitant, but I know that real estate works. It's literally a, a game of numbers. If I put this much effort into, I will get this much output. So I just figured I can make myself work ridiculously hard. I always have been, you know, my dad kind of taught me a little backstory. My dad, he actually cleaned pools for the majority of my childhood. He was just, he lost his job in 2008 and ended up driving down to Houston, which is four hours from Austin and, and just cleaning pools and sleeping in his car during the week and then coming home on the weekend. So I saw that growing up and I was like, man, you can work hard and make things happen regardless of how bad stuff is. So I figured same thing, same mentality. I know that real estate works. If I put this much time into it, it doesn't matter who I am or how much experience or how much age I have. I will figure this out. It's just a matter of putting the effort in. And I, I felt secure in real estate in that sense. So yeah, I mean, if you're thinking of starting some tech startup like VR that's, or something that's never been done before, maybe it's a little different story as far as confidence. But for real estate, you know, it's, it's been around for so long. It's one of the oldest businesses. So I figured I can make this work. People can make this work. Land has been here since before people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's awesome, Kyle. What an amazing story. So how did you educate yourself right then? Though? So let's talk about getting into that 107 unit deal. Yeah. So I actually educated myself through a lot of self-reading and podcasts and things like that. And then once I got to a certain point where I realized, okay, I know the basics. I know the lingo. I can talk the talk. I need to get involved with other people in this industry and start building somewhat of a network. And at that point, I joined the Jake and Gino Wheelbarrow Profits Education Group which has been hugely valuable. All the deals I've done have been with partners in that group. Um, and I'm still partnered with a guy, Nick Amaluxon, who's also in the group. So it's been a life-changing experience. And I highly recommend you know people reaching out to some sort of a networking group. I personally had great success with that one, but I know that there's a lot of good ones out there. And it's really just important to get around like-minded individuals because that's how you get stuff done. You really can't do a deal on your own. I've found that out. I mean, especially not a 21, but you really, it's hard to do a deal alone in, in commercial real estate. Yeah, great guys. I know Jake and Gino both personally, just great 
great guys. Can't, you know, just say enough about them. You know, something you were talking about before we started recording, and I love the way you said this, you know, you said having the courage of telling your authentic story. And I just want to highlight that because it's difficult. I know when you're young, it's difficult. You're 21, even when you're 35, it's difficult to get people to believe in you sometimes when you're just getting started in a business like this or want to hand you $50,000. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them a bit, you know, but it's difficult, right? And so I would love to hear more behind that just you taking you know having that courage to share your story and you know, us talk about that a little bit yeah so the whole courage to share your story thing for me really came big on the raising capital that's been my value add part of the business so far has been able to raise capital for deals and that's how I've gotten you know involved in them and the thing about telling your authentic story that's so valuable to me is like everyone in their mother knows I'm 21 when they look at me, you know, like there's no getting around that. You can't fake that. And so I have to own it. I have to be authentic with that and say, Hey man, I am 21 and 10 years ago I was 11. So it's like, you have to understand that people know that and that you'd lack perspective. And that's something that's true. And owning that and saying, yes, I lack perspective. Yes. I'm young and, and green. Yes. But I'll work way harder than anyone else. And I'll be up till 4am getting your money in a place that where it's safe. You know what I mean? I will take care of your investment money or, or I'll die. You know, I'll take that attitude. And that's kind of the authentic story you have to tell. Because if I sat there and said, oh, I'm super well-versed and I will put all your money in this great investment and I know exactly what I'm doing. I have so much experience. Like no one's going to believe that. You know, you look at my face and you know that that's not literally possible. So I just owned it. And I think that people really respected that. And that caused them to take the leap of faith that was required for me to actually be successful. Wow. You know, give us a little more details about, is there an example of it, a conversation with investor or an, an investor or that you could share just about that specific thing? Because I know a lot of listeners are having that same pushback and they're probably even older than you that are, are getting that pushback and maybe you can help them with that conversation a little bit. Yeah. So I actually can think back to a specific conversation when I was raising money for this 107 unit. It was from a guy named Lalo, who I met at a local meetup in Sacramento. And he was a CPA by trade. And then he was a VP at a sales company. And we were talking, you know, he's a very experienced guy from Argentina and probably in his fifties. And he's asking me all these questions about real estate. And I am well-versed. So I understood how to answer the questions. But at the end of the day, he goes, have you done this before? And my answer was, no, I haven't done this before. He goes, okay, well then why should I trust you with my money? And I looked him in the face and I said, I can't tell you to trust me with your money but I will tell you that I will work harder than anyone else that you would ever give your money to. And I looked him in the eyes and I said that with real authentic passion and honesty, because I will do that. I know in my heart that I will work harder than anyone else. And that's just the truth, you know, and you have to feel that too. You can't just say it with like a salesy grin. You have to mean it when you say it. And I really do mean that, you know, and, and I think that that was what got me over the line in that conversation. I love your drive and just your confidence in yourself, you know, just that you can do this. And you mentioned that you were in a meetup in Sacramento, but you live in Austin. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I was in school, I went to school in the Sacramento area in Davis. So okay. I was still, you know, prior to dropping out, was still doing some work on the back end and then, you know, ended up dropping out and then six months later got my first deal. Nice. So tell me about growing your network then through that process. Yeah. So I actually have like a little step-by-step -step thing to become an authority at a local meetup. I've released it on my website, but basically what I did was the first meetup I come to, I bring a guest and I tell the meetup guy, or I, the first one I don't bring a guest, I just go by myself and I tell him how I found his meetup. So I tell him about his marketing strategy and I get him some useful feedback on his marketing. And then the second time I'll bring a friend and I'll say, Hey, I've got a lot of value from a meetup. Here's a friend of mine to come check your thing out. So now you've added value again. And you've said, number one, you like this meetup and you like it enough to bring people along and you're talking about it positively in public. So that's some serious value. 
And then the third time you come back and you say, Hey, is there anything I can do at your meetup? Is there any help I can give you? Is that name tags, the social media, is that scheduling uh, speakers? Is that et cetera, checking people in. And I did that for like, you know, six weeks of just six meetup events. If it's not weekly, but it was weekly for this situation, but six weeks, I was just, you know, writing people's names on name tags, giving it to them, signing them in. And then that's huge value. And then eventually you'll notice because you're the one scheduling speakers that there's a gap in the speaker schedule and you just look at it and you go, Hey, I noticed uh, in two weeks, you don't have a speaker. Is there any way I could speak for 15 minutes about multifamily? And the guy's like, ah, sure. And then you're there and you're now, and then you're an authority. You know what I mean? Because at 21, I don't look like an authority, but as soon as I have a mic and I'm on stage, people start taking me a lot more seriously. And I think that it's a really easy step-by-step thing. It makes total sense. You just add value slowly over time. And then, you know, about two, three months later, you ask them the big ask of, of, can I speak for just 10 minutes? And boom, you're already, you know, you're an authority and hopefully you knock it out of the park and he invites you back. Awesome. I love that, how you laid that out and you started by adding value and you built a relationship ultimately. You know, they're probably going to let you on stage for 10 minutes to share about what you're doing in real estate. But tell me how that progressed. Okay, so you did that and tell me how that progressed in your business and how that benefited your business. Yeah. So as soon as I started becoming a speaker, I had like a little 10 minute segment after that because I did well the first time and then they called it, you can do it with Kyle Markout. I had like a 10 minute segment that was basically motivational pump up. Neil Bawa ended up sponsoring that meetup and taking it over. It was the round table and then it became one of his Neil Bawa meetups. So that also added a lot more credibility and he spoke at a couple of them and I learned a lot about how to evaluate markets and things like that. And I just started having people reach out to me, come bring their business cards and lining up after the meetup to talk to me. Usually I was ignored as like the cute kid, but then after these weeks, I was now the center of the meetup and everyone wanted to give me their business card. And that just made me have so many meetups outside of the meetup with coffee and lunch and asking people questions and seeing if they wanted to invest. And I ended up just building a pretty big investor list after that. And when I went to these Jake and Gino meetups and the national ones, I would say, hey, I actually have like a pretty big investor list and I'm out in Sacramento giving these little talks. You know, maybe I can raise some money for one of your deals. If you get one, keep me in mind. And then I got sent this deal, 107 units, and I actually was able to raise over over half a million dollars for it. So just from these connections at a meetup. So I really do think that that really simple step-by-step meetup strategy can change your business. It's You just got to become an authority in, in your local meetup. Congratulations again, over 500K for your first raise. That's really good. You know, getting started raising capital in this business, people think they can raise a lot more than they actually can. A lot of times it's about half what they think they can raise if they've never raised before. Congratulations. That's a big accomplishment. So I guess build us through that process a little bit. I wanted to back up too too, and say, how have you stayed motivated? You know, all these people that have said, Kyle, this is crazy. You can't do it just not possible. What are you thinking? You know, all these naysayers, right? I had to go through the same thing. But I wonder about you, like how have you stayed motivated even now? Don't know when the next deal is going to be. But you know, you quit that path, that trajectory that you were going to take everybody else thought you should probably take. And now you're doing this. So how do you stay motivated? Honestly, I would say faith. I think that my faith has been really strong in that. And it's just understanding that I've been put here with a certain set of skills. And then if I don't use those skills, then I'm you know, not necessarily taking full advantage of the life that I've been given. And it's a short amount of time that we're here. And, you know, it could be even shorter than you think it is. So it's like, if you're not utilizing the things that you've been put here with, then, you know, why even be here? That's kind of, and I know it's an extreme mentality, but it's like, that's kind of how I feel. You know, if I've been given this certain amount of motivation, because I've always been a a type A hard worker. I mean, I played division one soccer. I trained really hard for that. And and I've always kind of been driven. So I figured, you know, that's been given to me. That's not my doing, right? I was, I came in on this planet with that amount of drive. My dad gave it to me and you know, I'm just, I have to use it. You know, it's, it's like someone gives you a deck of cards and I mean, it gives you a hand in poker. You have to play that hand. You know, you don't have any other hand. So I just, I just kind of doubled down on myself and kept going. So what's been the hardest part of this syndication journey for you, Kyle? 
the hardest part of the syndication journey probably been just all of everything coming together in one little time frame and having all these pop-ups that you're not really expecting. Like for example, on the 107 unit, we had someone try to 1031 into our syndication, which you can do, but you just need some heads up because it takes, you have to, yeah, you just need some heads up, right? Because uh, you have to get a tenant in common agreement with that person because they have to have, they have to be on the title of both things that they're, they're moving money into, the thing that they're selling and the thing they're coming into, right? So they have to be a tenant in common and they weren't and they didn't tell us until like two weeks to closing. So we had to kind of scramble and then you have to let everyone else know who's passively investing that you're going to do a TIC. So you have to just get the heads up and we didn't have it, but that's honestly on our fault. And you know, that's another thing you got to take responsibility. We should have been asking those questions. So now they're in our soft commitment form is now it has to ask, you know, where's your funds coming from? Is it an IRA? Cause we have custodians ready. Is it a TIC? Cause we got to get that filed. I didn't know that on the first one. So we ended up really cutting it close to closing and getting that. So it was just, this is one of the hardest things is just juggling at the time frame. Wow. Yes. In a little bit of tenant in common, there's there's other things that they have. You're giving them a lot of rights. I'll just say that by doing a tenant in common and them partnering that way that you need to ask your attorney about because it's not always the best fit. You want to be very careful about who that person is. But tell me, how are you prepared for this potential downturn that everyone's talking about? How am I prepared? I think that I actually have a pretty decent article on timing the market and, and on LinkedIn. And I just, I talk about how you should always be buying with enough room and with the strict criteria that you have so that you're not getting in over your head regardless. And that comes down to debt coverage ratio and things like that and having enough space and running worst case scenarios, not just going off of current status or things getting slightly better or things getting slightly worse. You have to run absolute worst case scenario and then absolute best case and then run all the ones in between and see where you fall. And if there's, if you feel that there's a likelihood that it's going to be negative, like for example, what's happening right now, let's say there's a 30% drop in income on all your properties. Are you still going to be able to make that happen? And if you're not, then I'd say, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice there and, and taking a chance on something you can't control. So why would you do that? But it does mean that you maybe close less deals, but I'd say it's probably better not to do a deal than to do a bad deal. I, I honestly believe that. So I'd rather take my time and, and find ones that have enough room to withstand, you know, worst case scenario. Great answer. And, and what's a way, Kyle, that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? Yeah. So a thing that I've been recently doing that's actually got me on this podcast was I've just been posting way more than anyone else would even think possible on social media. So I post almost every, I do post every hour and sometimes twice an hour on social media all day long. I mean, I do it myself. I need to probably hire someone to do that, but right now I'm doing it myself because I want to keep the content high right now and the, the volume so that I have quality and quantity and people start to kind of know who I am. But it's gotten me on a lot of podcasts, you know, this one included. And I think that that's something you got to do is just whatever you think you're doing on social media, you have to, I mean, as Grant Cardone says, you have to 10X that. You have to do way more than is what even is reasonable, you know, because people aren't going to notice you if you're only posting once a day. You have to realize, number one, it's super competitive on social media. And number two, you have the audacity to say that you want people to hear what you have to say, right? Like you want an audience, and for you to really step back and think about what that means, you have to be adding like a ridiculous amount of value for people to be like, oh, Kyle said something today. I'm going to read it. I want to take time out of my life to read what Kyle has to say. Like for you to have the audacity to ask that, you need to put out some serious content and some serious hard work in order to like kind of deserve that almost. So those are like kind of the two big reasons. But yeah, I just been posting like probably 10x more than I used to be. Uh, on social so media. what are you posting? Is there a specific platform? Is there a specific thing you're posting every hour? I'm sure the listeners want to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I post on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. I post on, I have some daily segments to keep just some quality going. So I have like a daily definition and today was like the absorption rate. And then I'll have a definition of what that is. And I'll have a daily quote at the end of the day. So I'll start the day with a daily definition. And then at the end of the day, we'll have a daily quote that's motivational. And then in between, I'll have a podcast audiogram, which is, you know, the pictures with the little audio file going across them. Uh, so, you know, it's a video. I'll put that on 
across all social media from the podcast that I filmed in the morning. And then I'll have some questions to elicit some responses from people on social media because you kind of have to ask questions on social media mm -hmm. in order to engage commenters so that your posts can get more reach. So a lot like today, my, my question was, what deal analyzer do you use if you're in multifamily? I currently use the Jake and Gino model. Does anyone else use anything else? And then I had some questions. Some people said they use Michael Blanc. Some people, so you start getting some engagement. That was the one I posted in the afternoon. And then actually I actually have a whiteboard right here. And then, yeah, so I just keep asking questions and I keep updating people. Like I took a picture of, of the us on this podcast that I'll be posting. So it's just documenting my life and then asking questions in the middle of the day and then sandwiching it with some segments and then my podcast from a daily post. So that's kind of what I do every day. Love it. Now you are, you're good at hustling and that's, I love hearing these stories. Your story is so inspirational. I know to me and I know the listeners as well, because that's, that's the same thing I had to do is just hustle, do something more than what everybody else is doing, right? So you're doing it. So it's incredible to hear. I love seeing it. So tell me the one thing that's contributed to your success. Honestly, I can't, I think just hard work, as you said. I mean, I do know how to hustle. I don't necessarily, I've never really been like the smartest person in the world. I, I didn't have the greatest GPA in school. I wasn't a stellar student, but I always, you know, outworked a lot of people and, and kind of try to make up that difference. And same with soccer. I was never the biggest, the strongest or the fastest, but I always worked really hard to get back on defense. I always worked really hard to, to be there in front of the goal at, at the key moment. And I, I think that that's just kind of something that's, you know, my dad taught me growing up, you know, I, I'm really blessed to have such a good father who really showed me what work ethic is at a young age. And yeah, it's just, it's just been in me for a while, but that's definitely probably the thing that's put me across the line. How do you like to give back? Uh, I like to give back usually through, I mean, I go to a church pretty often. I go to the Austin Ridge church here in, in Austin, the Bee Cave campus. If anyone is out here in Austin, it's a great church, but I try to give back just through either donating some of my time or even, you know, donating some of my own money to that. And, you know, I really do believe in that cause. So that's kind of something that I, that I give back to. Awesome. Well, Kyle, I, as you have such an inspirational story. I'm grateful to know you and to hear it. And, and I know the listeners are thinking, man, you know, I got to get to work, <laughs> you know? So I heard naysayer after naysayer, just like you, and just had to keep grinding, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, you know, till you finally make it. And the people that are saying it's too difficult are the ones that are never going to make it. So we're always going to say it's too difficult. You know, they're going to find a way to say it's to not do it. Right. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah. So thank you for having me on and you can get in touch with me on kylemarko.com. That's probably the best place. It has all kinds of good resources and blogs and things like that. And then I'm also really active on social media, uh, Kyle Marcotte nine on Instagram and then Kyle Marcotte on Facebook and LinkedIn. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.